Hello and welcome to our podcast, The Ups and Downs of a Small Business Owner, where we hope to show you exactly what it's like to grow a business. So today I'm here with Anita Devi, award winner, author, speaker, researcher, teacher. But I think I think of you really as a people champion. That's nice. Thank yeah. You. How would you describe yourself? Oh, so in the world of work or as a person? As a person. As a person. Yeah, I am. A, I am, Yeah, I'm a, I'm a people person. I'm a people champion. That's my heart. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, just how you support people. You're kind of a cheerleader in the background, aren't you, for a lot of people? Yes, and that's a phrase that's often used. And I and I like saying, you know, thinking of that. Because we all need cheering on. Yeah. We all need cheering on. And yeah. I often support the MK Marathon. I'm not a runner, but, you know, I often do the, the, the marshalling. Okay, it the yeah, okay. And it's amazing, you know, just a little bit of encouragement. Yeah. How much it helps people just to finish it. And, and actually, yeah. cheering is so important. We don't make time for it, do we? No, no. And maybe it's sort of a little bit in our culture. We just don't do it, do we? I think it's also the side of empathy people don't think about. So mm. people think of empathy in terms of feeling someone's pain, someone's mm. difficulty, that's important. But it's also important to feel someone's joy. Mm. You know, you've got to have both. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's just, yeah, I'm quite intentional about that. Yeah. So what made you start, so start Team ADL? I guess it's a bit of a journey, isn't it? To it get has to that been point, a journey. Really. So... My heart and my background has always been education. Mm. If I'm honest, I really thought I would be in the classroom for life. Mm. That is where, you know, my my passion is, I guess. I evolved through the system and became a senior leader. And we, I had to take staff through redundancy as part of my role. We were support staff. Mm. It was a year-long process. It was a tough process. What was lovely, though, just as an anecdote on the side, or, a, you know, 10 years later when I met some of the staff who were involved in that process mm. in the shopping mall, one of the things they said is, you did it fairly. So even 10 years later, they okay. still felt. So that was really important to me at the time. Yeah, because you don't want them to be left with a, an impression of how it was done, do you? No. So, and then the following year, the, the numbers on role in this particular school were falling, and we had to make a teacher redundant, and we had mm. very young, experienced teachers, uh, new to profession teachers and Mm. we had very experienced who were at the you know the final salary pension salary and all of that so Mm. I kind of looked at the staff and I put forward a proposal to the to the governors which kind of surprised them financial case business case because they're not expecting teachers to do that but Mm. I said it makes sense financially for me to go okay so I took voluntary redundancy and within the education world, you don't get a lump sum or anything like that. Mm. Uh, I was on a trajectory at that point thinking I would like to go into headship. I'd like to turn around a school, particularly... I've always worked in deprived areas or areas of deprivation. Yeah. So that was where my trajectory was. But actually, so you don't get a lump sum, you actually get placed. This is the old local authority model. Okay. pre academization Yeah. So you get placed in another school and they... We couldn't find one, so in the end, I started working for the local authority because I'd done special education needs, disability, and inclusion in school. So mm. I became an SE and advisory teacher. Mm-hmm. So I went from working in one school in a local authority to now across eighty percent of the schools. Wow! And what really came to fruition there was I've got a real strength in strategy mm. and de- developing people in strategy. Mm. So about I would say. 55% of my time was developing 
strategic of schools, the, their plans and their leaders, mm. and 45% was casework with the children, assessments and stuff. Again, loved my job. Okay. Two fantastic bosses. Thought I could do this for life. Yeah. You know, every time I say that, it's a big mistake. <laughs> Local authorities changed yeah. and evolved, and a whole raft of reasons. But a few years down the line, I had to move on. I was relatively young at that point, and mm. I say that because people go into consultancy usually at the end of their career. I would say mm. I was mid-career at that point. Okay. But I went into consultancy as a send specialist. There were only six of us in the country at that time, wow. interestingly. Mm. The, the, the market has changed significantly. So I actually started out as myself as a consultant. Yeah. And I was quite clear on what I would offer and what I wouldn't offer. And I did that for many years. And I think part of me still kind of thought, do I want to go back into schools? You know, where do I want to mm. end up? Because I now have to sustain it for half of my career. Yeah. But I saw that more people were coming into the field of consultancy because the local authorities had all shut down mm. in terms of support so we were having more independence and actually I'd also supported the national reforms around special needs and I just I sat and thought actually what we need to do is pull people together mm. and create a, a service that would support schools in a different ways and different strengths but also we don't all have to keep reinventing the business skills mm. around that because for a lot of people that's not their strength and actually they've got they're good at what they do mm. and then they've been placed in a position where they have to go into independent and they don't have the business skills to match it up so mm. they just want to do their like you know a physio just wants to get on and do their physio yeah they don't want to do all the businessy stuff and I thought what could we offer so from that kind of thinking team ADL emerged ADL in Arabic means justice okay. so it's all around us being a team okay and, and you know, promoting team within the industry as well, because it's not something that's prevalent. Okay. And this heart for justice around children, young people being included. I thought it was having... something to do with your initials, actually, ADL. No, a lot of people think that, but actually, <laughs> if you look it up in Arabic, it means justice. Oh, okay. So, yeah, team ADL grew from there and has continued to grow. Um, and we've, you know, like any other organisation, we'll have our peaks and our troughs. Yeah, yeah. And people coming and going. But I think that's part of the journey, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So when you started, what was the dream? What did you hope to achieve? You mean Team ADL? Mm. Change makers. I wanted to galvanise a group of change makers who would disrupt the system. For policy change? Policy and practice. So okay. obviously I've been involved in special needs a long time now mm. and I saw it before the reforms and in 2014 we had significant reforms. Yeah. And there were two things wrong with the actual process of those reforms coming into place. One, when they started, they were incredibly ambitious. And that's a good thing. But when you're dealing with families and national change in policy, you don't promise everything and then not deliver. No. So if you're going to promise everything, you've got to deliver. Mm. There wasn't also a healthy rollout program. So yes, there were some pathfinders testing it. And then there was the law went through and then you know we had to start implementing within the four years and all those kind of things but the agility of project management doesn't always exist at national government level mm. and so they weren't able to always okay this is you know we've put this in place are there any consequences or dependables that have come as a result of that how do we adjust once mm. they're on a trajectory they stick to that trajectory mm. and and when I speak of government I'm thinking of the civil servants not the 
the party political because mm. we've had several parties and actually it was a cross-party initiative. So I think those kind of things didn't help. And so Team ADL was formed on the back of realising these reforms have failed. Right. So we wanted to be disruptors. We wanted to kind of model good practice. Mm-hmm. Choice should be at the heart of what schools can offer to their parents, their communities. Yeah. Unfortunately, what's happened over time is the way the the government tendering business service goes you kind of often have very large consortiums that are run by one organization and in effect it becomes a monopoly Mm. and in you know we recently kind of had a conversation around some of the tendering and one civil servant actually said although they try and make it suitable for SMEs Mm. it isn't really you know and 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 I can see that because of the way they do their decision making through the process Mm. And I think it's really a shame and a sadness because I think, A, there's a growing SME market. There's mm. increasing social enterprises as well. Mm. So it's not always looking to the charity sector, but mm. actually looking at innovative businesses. Mm. But also the agility of small businesses yeah. far outweighs national organisations. Yeah, and I, and I think that that freedom to be able to be quite innovative that that is really difficult in a big organisation. Yeah. What a shame. It is. So we continue to disrupt, though. Yes. <laughs> From the sidelines. Yeah. yeah. We, I think we are a voice. One of the things that brand specialists said to me, you know, when you go from a, an established personal name, Anita Devi was an established name, yes. to Team ADL, yeah. that's quite a significant shift because mm. I'm no longer the brand. It's... And we, we managed significant market saturation within 18 months. Okay. And I met brand specialists last Wednesday, and they were saying, this is quite unique mm. for you to go from a, you know, a single person, the face of the company, yes. to a brand yeah. in that short period of time and still have a, be a significant player. Yeah. We're now about six years on, seven years on. Mm. And one of the things that's happened recently is our particular name and brand we've actually had people from other parts of the world wanting to use it and they can't because we're that established brand Mm. so team adl it's here to stay yeah yeah good good so on that then how did you build the brand what steps did you take to to do that so i think two things that have been most significant everything we do pivots around our values mm-hmm. and our mission mm-hmm. so our mission is about you know developing people growing organizations and strengthening localities okay so when we're approached to do um, some piece of work or support a school or a college or an organization we go back to that does it fit in with that yeah and if it doesn't we actually say no, we turn away work. And okay. We're afraid to do that. Okay. And a lot of other consultants will say, really? Mm. But to be honest with you, we'd rather do something well and do it properly. Yeah. That fits in with who we are. Yeah. And not. So we've adopted that in all our messaging and all our communications. We didn't initially, we, you know, we haven't handed out our marketing or our um, social media stuff to an external mm. because actually we needed to ground that. Yeah, okay. So that was one of the, the key things. Yeah. I also think that, you know, the way that the, the we operate and structure ourselves, mm. a lot of the things that I'd set up as a consultant kind of naturally lent themselves mm. to the Team ADL brand and how we work. Okay. So I think that 
you know, we, we, we were very clear in our USP. Mm. People didn't understand it because here you've got a team of professionals and practitioners who in many ways are competitors. You know, mm. we can all do similar things, mm. but here we are working together as a team in our strengths yeah. to complement each other. Yeah. And that's what we worked with. Mm. I think those kind of things really were the, the, the foundation rock for that moving forward. Yeah. And I guess because you're a, a dispersed team, those values hold you together, don't they? If you know, if you're very, very clear that, you know, that this this is very important and integral to what we do, it drives everything else, doesn't it? So the people that you work with internally and externally and every message that goes out, the way that you act, it just becomes part of those values. Yeah, we have to live it. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just sitting there on a piece of paper. No, I agree. But, yeah, I just wonder whether, you know, we're... I'd say most businesses, it's one of those things that you do, isn't it? When you're starting up, you do the business plan. What are your values? Oh, I don't know. Let me let me think of some key words. And then you're right, it just gets forgotten. Yeah, we, we revisit it regularly. And I have mine on my wall, you mm. know, and I... We, we had five and then we narrowed it down to three and we kind of... And I test the team out and... And I think, but also I'm, I'm interested in how they outlived. Yeah. So there are two things that are non-negotiable for anyone who joins my team. Mm-hmm. One, we only work within the week, so nine to five, um, six if we're delivering training yeah. online, but that's it. That's our working week. Yeah. And so we fixed the input time mm. and it has made people productive. Okay. We don't do after evenings. We don't do weekends. Mm. And so, because I think a lot of people, particularly in this post-COVID era, we're trying to increase input as well as output. Yeah. And actually, you can't. It's like burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. So we've fixed our input time. Yeah. And that's helped us to think about how we can be more efficient and productive mm. within that time. Mm. And then the other non-negotiable is, you know, we are disruptors. We do challenge the system. Mm. But what we don't do is rent. And there's okay. a fine line. Okay. There's a really fine line. Okay. Uh, because, you know, you... you you were talking about me being a, a cheerleader. And, and earlier today I was writing a blog and it's all it's coming out later on, Compassion. Okay. And part of compassion, you know, is about learning to process. So compassion is about coming alongside people who are suffering. Yeah. But unless you process that and make time to process that, it can become an overload. Yeah. And then we don't deal with those emotions. So making time to process is really key Mm. and I think I'm very keen for the team we work from rest not to rest you know Mm. we can get so tired out that you just flop Mm. like most people at Christmas or holidays yeah and actually you're so exhausted Mm. that you you know the first few days of your holiday are actually the the grizzly bear yeah yeah just and actually it's not fair on the family it's not fair on anyone no so but actually if we start from a place of rest Mm. And and not working on the week. I don't switch on my computer on the weekend. It mm. sounds really bizarre, mm. but that actually makes sure that when I come in on Monday morning, I am so ready to go yeah. and get things done. Yeah. So if that's our framework, mm. within that we've had to think about well, then what systems can we put in place mm. to enable that? Mm. So we've we've removed about ninety five percent of emails. We don't do emails internally. At okay. All. Okay. So we've used we've we've sourced communication platform that works for our team okay i was working in europe in september for about three days mm. i didn't look at my emails once 
came yeah. back on the fourth day, mm. first day into the office, got through my emails within an hour and a half. Mm, so wow. I only get, and I have about four email accounts. Mm. It, it, funny, I, I experienced that yesterday, actually. I was doing a training course in the morning, but I had made the mistake of having my emails open on the side and it's amazing how stressful that is seeing them just keep coming in isn't it and I, I personally like my inboxes to be no more than 50 mm. so it's only the relevant stuff at the moment that's live and as soon as that's done it's I moved. delete or I yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry delete or kind of file it yeah but I yeah and, and I see other people and I'm not, it's not you know a judgement but I do think it's, a, it's something that you're carrying yes you've got you know thousands of that on your inbox yeah it's phenomenal yes and I, I switched it's a small thing but the settings in my inbox are not set to new or unread they're set to all okay so I know how many are there yeah and I want to get rid of them if it gets over if it hits the 90 mark yeah it has to get down to 50 yeah because actually I can't be dealing with all of that stuff no no so so but but that emerged from mm. setting the parameters of what we work yes because uh, as a business I've, owner, you could work all hours. Yeah, and you've got to be mindful of the effect that has on the team. Yes, and yourself. Yeah, but but if you're kind of setting the bar, you know, you're saying to we do it all the time for the team. Like your your core hours are yeah. eight till four, but they know that actually I'll still be logging on at ten or eleven at night. You know, it's not it's not brilliant for them or or me really. So, yeah, it's trying to be strict, isn't it? But I think you're right. I think, you know, since working from home has come in, you have to be a lot more disciplined. It's a lot easier. And also just, you know, technology. So I can work on my phone. Yeah. So that means that I could work 24 hours a day wherever I am. Do you want to? No, I don't want to. But it's it's there. I, and I guess it's a mental thing, isn't it? Saying, OK, I, I know I could, yeah. but I'm not going to within yeah. these hours. So I, I don't have emails on my phone. I, again, that was a deliberate decision. Yeah. And I switched off notifications mm. of you know social media stuff. I will go in when I'm ready, mm. and I look at it then. You know, mm. why do we have to have this constant pinging? Yeah. You know, because it, it adds to stress levels. It does, because even if you don't look at it, you're aware. Yes. <laughs> it just sort of plays on your mind, doesn't yes. it? And if you know it's there. You know, as I was saying about the compassion, so we have instances that we've come alongside people, and in my role with special needs and disability, that's a lot. You know, we take yeah. on a lot. Yeah. And if we don't then have that space to process it, we yeah. get fatigue. Mm. And we'll all process it differently. Yeah. But actually, it's really important to me that we make time to process. And I think, even mm. as a business owner, I think you carry a lot. Yes. And unless we make time to, you know, process, go for that walk and go back and ground ourselves in the big picture and why did we start yeah. this what's our why what's our intent yeah. we can get lost mm. in trying to serve the people we're trying to serve yeah like a headless chicken isn't yeah. it running from one thing to another yeah mm. yeah and I saw that actually the hard way so my father had a business and and it was it was really interesting because he he originally so my parents came to the England because he was a printer so he was studying at the London School of Publishing and okay. got into the publishing world okay but he then set up his own business and he was importing it, no, exporting to Nigeria. Mm-hmm. This was pre, prior to the, the coup in 1984, 1985. So right. he had a substantial business, actually. He was sole distributor for a number of key products out to Nigeria. Okay. But they would work silly hours. Right. And then, obviously, the, the coup happened. Mm-hmm. The military took over. 
And so he switched to importing, and he was importing um, dental floss from, from Switzerland. Gosh, so you know, you see different. those swords yeah. that he actually the pioneer of that wow. was originally in Switzerland, and this, it's, it's, it's like a, a bit of a Starbucks, sto- not Starbucks, Amazon story. He started this gentleman okay. in Switzerland in his attic, and he had this idea that I'm struggling with flossing. Yeah, let me make this kind of tool. Okay. And he he actually patented the first one. Obviously, over time, people have copied it, and it's now mm. very available. Mm. But uh, yeah, I saw my I saw my father work endless hours. And when he said he originally wanted to set up the business, we had a family meeting, and at the time, you know, a lot of Asian families were going into shops, mm. and I said, please don't do that because mm. actually, you know it's going to take over our lives and mm. it will be the weekends mm. we need something that you can stop on a Friday yeah. so even at my you know, my teens I was kind of saying to him yeah. I was protective of that time okay. but the business he set up kind of consumed him quite right. a bit and I so was it family were you all involved for all of those hours well I said I wouldn't and okay. he knew that okay. and it's really interesting because that was a really interesting conversation I had to have with him mm. that you know I didn't particularly want to get involved in the business, if I'm honest with you. But actually, so it was either me or my brother. My, my brother, I kind of said, well, come on, we'll do the world stuff. Mm-hmm. So he went off and I did it for a short while. I think at that point, that's when my father and I realised we had very different approaches to business. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I moved on. Okay. Um, and that was okay? We, we managed it, let's just say okay. that. You know, right. it's not easy. No, it um, isn't. Because it was, you know, he had a lot of investment in that business yeah and he's you know like he and particularly within the culture that I grew up in there was this thing that it becomes part of the inheritance and Mm. just wasn't me Mm. just not so I have an entrepreneurial spirit Mm. but just not a in the way he he was doing it and not in the market that he was doing no and so I, I think it's you know I think generation to generation we can't expect them necessarily to carry on what we do no. And what we set up, because they've got to find their own destiny and their own purpose. Mm. So, yeah, it was a difficult conversation, but one we had to have. Mm. I'm just thinking of the other family businesses that you are sort of building that expectation, aren't you, that, that your children will carry on after you. And I guess from a parent's point of view, you're doing it, again, with good intentions. You, you're trying to give them a legacy, aren't you? Yeah. But And for some it does, they really do have a heart for it. Mm. But it's not going to be everyone's. So, no. yeah, I would say to business owners, you know, if you have children and they're interested, great, encourage them. Mm. But don't expect it. No. It's a bonus if it happens. It's a blessing if it happens. But it's yeah. not going to be everyone's cup of tea. No. Mm. So how important have the people around you been to your personal and business journey? Massively. Uh, mm. Yeah, I would say so again about the processing sometimes mm. you need just you need to process with certain key people who you know you get wisdom back mm. you know finding people of wisdom I think is really important people who discern mm. who can give you honest feedback and that isn't going to come through social media and people that match your core values that's important and, yeah. and within the team as well but yeah around those who we work with those who mm. and again you know, sometimes I've been approached by organisations to do work for them and I look them up and whilst they've got values and they're all great, they mm. don't align with where we're at and actually we'll say no. Mm. 
people find that really strange. But one of the best things I learned in my first month of becoming a business, I call myself a, an edupreneur. Okay. So I cross both worlds. Yeah. Was to say no. And it just, it's so countercultural. Mm. But actually, that set up safeguards for what I will do and what I won't do. Yeah. Um, so do you do the same with your personal? Personal life. Life, yeah. Yeah, I am. With the people that surround you personally. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was never one for big parties and big things. I like mm. small groups. Yeah. Conversations around that. Yeah. I'm very intentional about investing time with people. Mm socially and from a work perspective I've always also always had an open kitchen mm-hmm. so you know lots of people from work have just often just come around and sat around the kitchen table and I'll cook them a meal and I do mm. find that's really and I still try and do that you know as well yeah so yeah that's lovely isn't it actually but that's something my mum we've always had a hospitable culture okay so no matter what and one of my most distinctive memories as a child was my mum had made a, a really nice yoghurt curry mm-hmm. and yeah, people just knocked on the door and there's about like, oh, we're about to have dinner yeah. <laughs> and yeah. there's now another five or six people okay. and she took that curry and transformed it into something completely different but enough for everyone Okay. and I was sitting there completely amazed by this and loved it I mean, it tasted good but it was just nothing was a problem, there was always yeah her way of doing that and so I think those are moments where we you know yeah I've always had work people around mm. for a meal for a drink you know coffee whatever yeah I think, I think the kitchen table and the, you know sitting around a dining table or a bar there's something about that yeah there is yeah you know because you came to my house I did house, yes. and you sat at my breakfast bar yeah I had breakfast it was nice <laughs> that's right we did breakfast <laughs> when I just yeah yeah and, and I think that's important as well making time yes because relationships if you formed a relationship then to have a difficult conversation is not it's not hard no because you actually you can you know there's a good substance there Mm -hmm. you know how far to push the boundaries you know what matters to them how Mm -hmm. to position it Mm -hmm. i think we try and have difficult conversations without knowing people yeah and i think relationships it's it's the heart of business isn't it Mm. you know and i wonder how that's been affected again by covid how easy is it to form these relationships virtually? Yeah, I think it takes a lot more effort. Mm. So you need to have the more frequent and shorter spans. Yeah. I think also you've got to be good at remembering what people. It's easier face to face. So you know, because yeah. cr- it's a when you're face to face, it's a shared memory. Yes. Like when we had breakfast. Yes. You know, there's an experiential aspect with it, and yeah. a multi-sensory one too. Yes. And so that kind of then adds to the memory building. Yeah. How many Zoom calls do you remember? Mm. When people talked about Zoom fatigue, it's not that. It's just actually there's no anchor of those conversations. So we remember things like where we did crazy parties or, you know, we all dressed up and did games. And I I did a jukebox group at one point, (laughs) which was absolutely fabulous, I have to say. But, you know, I remember those. Yes. But the actual everyday stuff, yeah. we don't remember because no. we're not creating memories no. with those individuals. Yeah, you're right. And that's why it's harder. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So what's been your biggest failure and what did you learn? My biggest failure? Oh, wow.
I, I like change and I like feedback. Mm. And I think one of the things I've had to learn over the years, not everyone actually appreciates it in the same way. No. So there I'm are, one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had to learn <clears throat> diplomacy um, around some of that. And, and as a change maker, mm. it's at my core. Yeah, you're ruffling feathers. Aren't yeah, you? And, mm. and I've got to understand. Um, a bit so, did a certain bit of feedback go down very badly with someone then? It's it's really in my role. It's, so, when I do consultancy work in my role, I'm only called in because there's a problem. Mm. And <clears throat> the people who call me in aren't often the people I work with. So they, you know, they might see as a problem, but I'm now having to work with a different group of people who don't perceive there's a problem. Right. Okay. And so, actually, I and <clears throat> we talked earlier about relationships. Mm. People don't pay me to come in and form those relationships. They want results very quickly. So one of the largest local authorities in the country, a quarter of it is the size of Milton Keynes, just to give you that kind of context size. Wow. I was asked to review their complete services. Mm in eight days from start to finish Gosh. so it was the prep time the research three days on site interviewing back to back I did 29 interviews in three days oh wow and then all that analysis of data yeah. to find, produce a final report right and you know people are coming in now I am in the public domain people will look me up yeah they'll see what I do all those things that you said and I've yeah. had a very colourful life let's say yeah and they kind of sit there quite inhibited mm. because what if I say something that's wrong? What if I tell her, you know, what is she going to pick out? Mm. So very quickly, I have to go in and make people feel at ease. Yeah. And I've had to learn different ways and strategies to do that. Mm-hmm. Growing up, I wouldn't have said that was one of my strengths. No. And I've okay. made some bloomers in that context, you know. Yeah. I value truth. Truth yeah. is a really important value to me. Actually, it's how you, how you present the truth. Mm. It's really key. Mm. because it's not just that we need to give them the truth we need to enable them to use it to move on yes and if you're in a mindset where you think actually I don't see a problem here I don't understand why leadership are paying so much money to have you in yeah okay you know you're on the back foot before you start absolutely yeah absolutely Mm. so yeah I I I mean I'm, I'm struggling to find one incident because as I said we do we do have Situations and we come up against a lot of resistance, mm. but that's why I invest time in, in processing mm. and learning from those. Yeah, and also how much of it really was down to what I did mm. or actually where they're at. Mm. And I have to balance those out sometimes. And mm. I've had to learn, I am you know, I'm passionate about what I do, I care about it, but also there is, there's a degree of where I need to say, This is my job. Mm. And you're clearly not in a good place. And often I'll go in and you, you're called in for one thing and you start to and you uncover a whole range of other things. Yeah. Um, as I said, psychologically when I go in, I, ha- I know I'm going in to clear up a mess. Mm. And if you're doing that on a regular basis, mm. you know, it's not as if I'm adding. So something like a lawyer or an accountant that you've got a relationship with your clients mm. that's ongoing yes. and you're seeing them grow. Yeah. I'm actually seeing them in a mess. Yeah. And being told, this is the time you've got. Get yeah. it sorted. Do I have always time for the history? No. Because then I can get stuck in the history. And you don't get the joy of the implementation, really, either, do you? 
Well, we are very fortunate because one of the things that came through with Team ADR and my own consultancy work is people do come back to us. Okay. So we've sustained. So I've had, I think I've worked in just over 15% of local authorities across the country. Yeah. But I've had at least three or four of those contracts that went over three or four years. Okay. Which is very unheard of in local authorities. Yes. But they actually pulled me in to do a piece and the mm. way I structured it mm. I was able to not just deliver yeah. but then see them all the way through the change cycle because to yeah. embed a vision takes about three years Yes, yeah. and so <clears throat> with a lot of organisations we have been able to do that Yeah. but being made redundant from work in school mm. actually shaped a lot of the consultancy so when we do consultancy we do work to make ourselves redundant and I know that sounds mm. really bizarre because it's very different to your field where you are sustaining your client relationship. Yeah, yeah. But if we've been called to sort out, called in to sort out a mess, and we're good, yeah, they shouldn't need us. No, we are capacity building as an organisation, mm. whereas you're a support service alongside a growing yes. organisation. Can you yeah. see the? Yeah, it's quite yeah. a different yeah. dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. So they might call us back to do another bit because they like working with us and they like the way we. But we shouldn't be going back to do the same thing. No. And that's the difference. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's really fascinating when you look at businesses and what is their relationship with their clients and mm. how does that operate? It's very different for different organisations. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm. So the flip side of that, what's been your biggest success? <sighs> My biggest success. Well... I know, what the t- I know what some members of my team would say, or <clears throat> some members of my social group right now at this point in time, they would say getting my doctorate last year was a big success. Yes. Partly because of all the challenges I had through the process. Um, I lost family members, we had COVID, I had to move, mm. all of that stuff. Um, mm. And even my viva was, you know, the university said they've never seen such a grilling from an external examiner. Right. So <clears throat> I think some of them would say that. And I, and I think it was. It was something that really stretched me. But I wouldn't say that's my biggest success necessarily. I think the bigger part of the success has come from knowing and discovering who I am and who I can be to enable others. Okay. And I say that in the context of I grew up in a culture where there were certain expectations of who you should be. Mm-hmm. And I didn't fit the mould. Mm. And actually discovering who I am was really important. Mm. And making choices from that. So how long has it taken you to get to that point? I would say it's been an ongoing process since my teens. But I would say really came into fruition in my 30s. Okay. So it's a journey, isn't it? It's it's a constant journey. And I think we're constantly changing as people aren't we yeah and we're growing and we are pruning like trees and Mm. you know some bits need to be removed and some bits need to to create space for growth yes we need to feed ourselves you know in in that context yeah so yeah we are continually growing and we are you know and if you see a tree um, and I raise the tree because it's our logo that but also we are surrounded in this lovely studio by trees (laughs) that you know a tree gives and receives doesn't it Yes, it gives that oxygen, and yeah, you know, and, and actually, yeah. we have to, to make time for both, mm. which we don't often. You know, we hit off balance. Mm. So the middle road 
living by balance has been a big it's, it's something that's really on my mind at the moment, actually. How do we mm. stick to taking the middle road? Because mm. people often think the middle road's ordinary and boring. Actually, it's not. So by knowing yourself, what has that then enabled you to do? Pursue the best version of me in most situations. Okay. You know, and there are some things I can't do, and I'm okay with that. And there are some things okay. I go to a meeting, and I'll sit there, I'm not sure I agree with that, but it's okay. Okay. It helps me to pick my battles. Um, yeah, okay. And your opportunities, I guess, as well. And my opportunities and absolutely partnerships I don't want to get involved in mm. or boundaries I'm going to set. <clears throat> okay. And also where I am going to challenge, you know. Um, I have had to challenge local authorities. I've had to challenge national government. They don't always like it. But one of the things they will say to me, you know, many years down the line, even though they find me... <laughs> A disruptor, let's use that word. They will say, Anita, we don't always agree with you, yeah. but we know where you stand. Okay. And I think that's a good place to be because that means that, you know, if anyone was to say something behind my back about me that wasn't true, yeah. actually, even those people who didn't like me or don't like what I say no. will know that's not her. And there's something about being heard, I think, by people. There is. And <clears throat> yeah, there is. And, you know, when I said to you there were six of us in the industry, and I'm, I'm not one to gain credibility through any of the characteristics I have of being Asian or being female. Yeah. But those six consultancy, consultants, I was the only non-white. Okay. And I work in a predominantly female industry mm. that has predominantly more male leadership. So, you know, it is, it is those, there are those kind of dynamics mm. that exist. Mm. And rightly or wrongly, mm. sometimes it's, the, you know, it's the voice doesn't always be, isn't heard because of perceptions. Okay. So would you say you're, you're overcoming those perceptions now? Or it's just a constant? So I've always, as I said, I don't want to... I want people to know me for the quality of what I deliver or yeah. what my team delivers rather than, who rather than because I'm female or yeah. because I'm yeah. Asian. So I don't use those. No. But where it's appropriate, I will then say, yes, we've delivered well. And by the way, mm. you know, mm. just to kind of... So at that point, but, you know, what we deliver comes first. Yes. Whereas okay. I, <clears throat> I know that there are others who kind of think, well, actually, we need to use that. And that's not just where I'm at. No. So knowing myself is really key. Yeah. So have you ever thought that Team ADL won't work? No. I know that sounds really bizarre, but mm. I never go into anything unless... One, I've seen success, yeah. and I visioned, visioned, envisioned success. Mm. I didn't think Team ADL would grow to the way it is and in the way it has, and yeah. that has been phenomenal. Yeah. So I did, it wasn't that I didn't think it would work, but I, I think <clears throat> one of the... Again, it was a significant moment... I was driving, I think, towards Somerset, but don't quote me on that. Yeah. And it was one of those really foggy d evenings, and it was I was going in the evening before to, to deliver the next day. Yeah. And there's these little windy roads, and it's not a place I know. And I love mm. driving. I'm mm. comfortable with driving. But mm. literally, I could only see enough in the fog lights. Yeah. And, and you know, there were cars behind me because it was rush hour. And I said, no, I'm going to go at the pace that I need to go. Yeah. I'm not going to worry about that. 
But I realised on that day that sometimes we have enough light and vision to just see the next step. Yeah. And that's enough. And once yeah. we've seen that step, we'll see the next step. Yeah. So I have moments like that where yeah. there are projects that we are now taking on where we are really shaking up the system. Mm. And I could see what I kind of want, but actually getting to that, mm. and even in my PhD, it was like, take the next step, <clears throat> and yeah. then the next step, and yeah. then see where it goes. Yeah. And that comes back to the agileness of a, yes. an entrepreneur. Yeah. That you... But I think, you know, if you had said to me five, six years ago, mm. you know, or even last year, let's just take last year, 2022. So in mm. that year, we wrote and published a book. Yeah. We launched a national project around 365 Send, and I finished off my PhD. Mm. Okay, but that's a, three major things. Yes. Alongside the business as usual. Yes. <clears throat> if you had said to me at the start of January, this is what your year's going to look like. Mm. Oh, and there was a whole couple of couple of things we did overseas, and you know, so those mm. are just the main highlights. I've kind of we did a lot last year. Yeah. But if you'd said that to me in January, yeah, this is what your year's going to look like. I would have been scared. Yeah, overwhelming. Overwhelming. Yeah. But we got into each month. Yeah. And actually, what's what's on the radar for this month? Yeah. And we could see it. and We could work through it. Yeah. And I think maybe that's a bit of a privilege, isn't it, of being the the business owner. That actually you probably know that there are other goals out there, but let's just deal with what we've got here now. And you haven't got that worry of, oh God, there might not be anything else out there because you, you find it. You, you know that there will be something bigger. Well, you believe in what you're doing. And, you know, the best soap opera stories have the overriding arc, don't they? Yes. And then they have these mini sub stories. Yes. <clears throat> and that's the life of an entrepreneur. Yeah. And where it fails in a TV series, you can really see it yeah. and people stop watching. Yeah. And so you've got to keep that overriding arc. Theme, yeah. And it's really interesting because, <clears throat> you know, as I said, we are disruptors and on the 4th of January, we announced that we were launching 365 Send anyhow. Yeah because we believe in it and we put all this time in it and actually I got a, a letter from the, the government saying well we haven't decided what we're going to do and by that point I was saying well we're doing it you're either on board with us or not it's yeah. your choice now but we're yes. doing it because as an entrepreneur I wouldn't put that much time and effort into something if I didn't believe in it no. and if I'm no. going to so I'm not dependent on them making that decision mm. that's the difference mm. we come at it with, with belief yeah. and because we've done all the thinking around it yeah, it's more satisfying, isn't it? You know that you're going to deliver it. You're not waiting for a final. Yeah, and um, the dependables become different. Yeah, and and three six five send particularly because how we've disrupted the system with that is we're offering that service, but one of the biggest challenges within the world of special needs and disability and inclusion is the finance resources mm. to fund it. <clears throat> yeah, here we are doing a three year project and able to offer it. At a pound a day. Well, yeah. That doesn't happen. No. And so it has shaken up. Well, how is that possible? Yeah. And it's because the bigger you grow, you have more of those overhead costs. Yeah. And actually a lot of funding, government mm. funding, goes into some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Then actually where it should be going to the people. Yes. So by being lean and agile... Mm because we built the app oh yeah that was another thing we did last year for this project <laughs> so <clears throat> yeah a few big things last year yeah but because we can do that mm. you know we can 
you know, move it forward. I mean, look at yourselves here. This is the equivalent of a radio studio, isn't it? In a I way. Mean, almost, yeah. <laughs> I, set up, I set up a community radio uh, many years ago and um, we, yeah, I mean, this is the equivalent of a modern day community radio, that little yeah. set. That, yes, yeah. Now, <clears throat> how much do radio stations pay for their big studios and everything yeah. else? So, actually, I think this is great. Yeah. You know, you've got your soundboard panels in. Yeah. You know, you've got the appropriate mics and all of that. So, You've you've been able to do the same level of service, yes. but with lower costs. Yes, yeah. That's the key, isn't it? In some yeah. of the, you know, you, you can only make it work at a lower cost if either you cut your profits or you cut your initial costs. Yeah. And that's what we can do as SMEs, yes. and we can bring in subcontractors to do different bits. Yeah. That we don't always have the expertise, so we're not employing. No. So we haven't got those on costs. No. But then our subcontractors will still give the quality that we need for that bit. Yeah, and you're able to select best of breed, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. And and also, if in the event, for whatever reason, they get too much work, they can't do it, you can have a group of, <clears throat> or a bank of yes. subcontractors. Yeah. So you can still deliver. Yes. You know, you're not going to compromise on the quality. Yes. But you're not dependent on then a, a recruitment or retention process. No. no, you just do it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ideally, we want to keep the people that we've got, but sometimes people move on with their own ideas. Yeah, well, not everyone's available yeah. all the time. Yeah. So, if you could go back to the beginning, would you do it all again? I'm guessing you would, but would you do it necessarily in the same way then if you would do it again? Yes, and yes. <clears throat> okay, that's unusual, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good thing to be able to say. I enjoyed the journey. I have enjoyed the journey and I continue to enjoy the journey. So I would do it again because I've learned lots on the way. I've grown, you know. For, I mean, I was, I was talking to the... We, we had a team away um, gathering last week and I was talking to the team. And actually, again, you know, for a... If people really knew the cultural background that I came from or the, the, the kind of dynamics I've had to kind of break through to get where I am... Mm. That's phenomenal. And I don't always sit down and think about it myself because I'm just kind of moving forward rather yes. than looking back. Yeah. When I tried, I'm not very good with the rearview mirror. I <laughs> like to look forward. So, yeah, I, I I would do it the same. And I do it the same because I do think I've learned from this. Yeah. And I continue to learn. Mm. So I don't think it's, it's, you know, I'm at a destination point. It's still a journey. I think, I think that's a reflection on you as well, though, isn't it? Because, again, it's you're taking on that feedback. You're very aware of things around you it would be you could easily do it and actually not learn that much and just be quite tunnel visioned about what you're going to do which I, I don't think leads to the best results but there's a bit of you actually reflecting and absorbing feedback around you and changing yeah and and it's not easy and particularly when it comes to you know when I do have to challenge some of government policy there's a side, there's a, there's a private side that I think a lot of people don't see. So I do the challenge publicly and I will speak out because I believe it's right. Yeah. And it's not right because for me, it's right for the, the people I serve, the children I serve, yeah. the families I serve, yeah. you know. <clears throat> but behind the scenes, I really have to do a lot of kind of protecting my heart. Yes. Because it doesn't always feel good to be constantly challenging and you no. get a lot of rebuttals back. Yeah. And you get comments back. 
Yes. And I have to go and say, well, actually, yes, but, <laughs> you know. And so I do have to do that kind of teasing out. Yes. I can imagine it can be quite draining as well. It's draining. I get, I have been labelled various things. Right. Sometimes in very strange ways. I had a, a CEO of an organisation that <clears throat> we don't necessarily see eye to eye in our values. Came, yeah. never met the person. Came to one of my online meetings. So they were, if you like, for want of a better phrase, in my Zoom room. Yes. Criticised the work that we were doing. But then actually at the end of the meeting went on to personally attack me in my who I was and everyone else in the meeting was going you know and I just kept a I've learned over time not to kind of always just react React. no Um, hard to do though so I listened and I said well thank you for the feedback yeah and I just repeated that you know yeah I do challenge the government and various other organizations but this is what they would say about me we don't always agree with you Anita but we know where you stand and that is true people have said this to me yeah and I think that's a good place to be. Yeah. And then we, you know, we ended the, the conversation. So I, I have to deal with some of those kind of things. That are not easy. And no. sometimes I, uh, when, when we were in the thick of the SEND reforms as well, I think there was at least two weekends where on social media I had whole weekends of parents ranting at me on social media right. because of the stand we'd taken around special needs and disability. Okay. It hasn't happened since, but and I know what you know. They were in that emotional, yes. but, but I became the target of that. So right. you get a lot of that, mm. which is a side that a people don't often see. No, it's a side that I don't broadcast mm. because I don't take it personally. No, but I do have to go away and process it. Yes, and I do have to go, and so those are the tough times for me, if I'm mm. honest with you. Yeah, and, and that's why my own time is really important. Yeah, but I mentioned we were at, we had a team meeting gathering last week. And one of the questions I put to the team was, this year, what are you going to do to protect your heart? Mm. And it was really interesting because they've all got different strategies and that's great. But I wanted them to be intentional that, you know, as we grow, as we do more, yeah, the thing that's most valuable, mm. you have to protect that. Mm. You have to protect that, whatever, mm. it, whatever it needs for you. Yeah. Because, <clears throat> you know... Bitterness can eat away at gratitude. Yes. It just takes a small ounce of bitterness. Yeah. And it kind of, it it infests. Mm. And I don't want that. Because it makes them unproductive. Mm. They don't then feel they're delivering. Mm. And everything becomes a drudge. Whereas if you deal with this stuff. Yeah. And you first of all start to protect your heart. Mm. Then you deal with the stuff. Process it. And however they need to process it. Mm that will make them more productive and resilient Mm. to growth. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I think, you know, to listeners, I would say, particularly some of the business owners, because we put so much of ourselves into our businesses. Yeah. How do you protect your heart? Make time to think that through Mm. and constantly ask yourself, how am I protecting my heart in this situation? Mm. Not easy because I think, especially what you do you know your heart is in your business isn't it so to try and separate and protect is I think you're right you have to consciously do it but but even as I would say in the role that you do you know 
you may have a client, not that you have, and mm. listeners, please don't take this, but you may have a client <laughs> who comes back, has got another problem elsewhere, yeah. but is disgruntled and takes it out on you. Yeah. And that might be because actually in that year they haven't made the profits they wanted to. Yes. And the accounts yeah. don't reflect yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, for yeah. example. Yes. And you have to take that rebuttal. Yes. Because what they're seeing on paper now for the first time is possibly mm. what they've known mm. but you're the person delivering that message yes and possibly it could be volatile yes so it's not just about my field i think in any field mm. conflict's inevitable mm. and and you know you're talking about we we're talking about change earlier and our relationship with change but i also ask people what's your relationship with conflict yes i wouldn't say i thrive on it but i'm not afraid of it no no, and I think it can be healthy, actually, conflict. But how many people actually think that way? Mm. Most people avoid conflict. Yes. When you avoid it, you have this mat, and you keep stuffing it under the mat almost, yes. and then this lump comes up. Yes, yeah. yeah. And you trip up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, or it festers inside mm. you, you mm. know, that I really walked away from that Zoom call unoffended. Okay. By that individual. Yeah. One of the things I did, and again, this was in my 30s, when I moved into my own property and that, I, I kind of made it a conscious decision that I would not let the sun go down on an argument mm. or a disagreement. And it's a small thing. Mm. doesn't always mean I pick up the phone and talk to that other person because they may not be in that space. No. But in my heart... Okay, you've... Forgiveness. Yeah. And forgiveness is for me, not the other person. No. Because whether I forgive them or not doesn't have any impact on them. Whether no. I forget or not has an mm. impact on them. Yes. But whether I forgive or not is for my heart. Yeah. And so each night before I kind of I go to bed, I do make sure that there is, you know, there is nothing that I'm carrying from the day. Yeah. And, and so I sleep five hours, but solid. Love it. So you sleep five hours? That's all I need, though. Oh, wow. Because I... Because it's such good sleep, if that makes sense. Yes, good and, quality. And yeah. I often have... I was at a meeting, we had a trustees meeting earlier in the week, and I think it finished later than we expected, and we got back, and I like a nice hot cup of tea at the end of the day. So mm. I sit there with a nice big hot mug of tea, which most people would say, that keep me awake. <laughs> yeah. Had my tea. As soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm out. Okay. Five hours, five and a half hours, good sleep. I was up and I was ready. Yeah, yeah. It probably is yeah, it's to do with actually not having any of that baggage there's nothing going on in your mind nothing that you're worrying about you've no. kind of dealt with everything yeah, yeah it's a lot healthier isn't it and I only think about kind of I try and keep my thinking within the work parameters so I don't think about work on the weekends right I say that's unusual I'd for, a, for a business owner but I've had to train my mind yeah yeah no yeah I can see yeah yeah so for me the weekend is about walks it's yeah. about meeting people for coffee it's about yeah. cleaning the house doing the housework love yes. that or reading or yeah. anything else yeah. I want to do okay it's not meant for work no and so coming back to where we started that parameter of your work yes, week yes really important because we all want to increase productivity yes but we can't stretch time it's the no. one thing we can't give more of no no it's fixed yes so let's treat it as something fixed yeah you know and none of us went into business because we really wanted to work seven days a week, surely. No, no, <laughs> no, Why? that's not the dream, is it? Why no. would we do it then? I know. Yeah. 
So I think you're probably, yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely, are you happy with your work-life balance? You're probably the most balanced person I know, actually, because of those parameters. So you see, I, I find that the, the construct of work-life balance really hard okay. in, in terms of a concept Okay. For me, it's... That's work. constantly what you're doing, though, isn't it? It is, but work is only one part of life. Okay. So, so I see life as a bigger circle. Yeah. And work is just one segment in there. Okay. And then I've got other bits. And okay. so when people talk about work-life balance, it's one or the other kind of... It's like a scale. That's yes. why I'm saying that I... So for me, it's, it's again, that bigger picture. What's, what's important to me in my life? People. It's at the yeah. heart of it all. Yeah. Making time for people. Mm. Protecting my heart. Protecting who I am because it's taken yeah. me a time to discover that yes why would I want to throw that treasure away yes and then actually work fits into that not the other way around mm. and so I think it's about how we and again prioritise always thinks about order but if you think of it as a visual of say that a big circle that's our life yeah within that one circle is work so how big is that circle mm. What are the other things you put into that circle yeah. and how big are they and in yeah. fact it was one of the things I actually in my PhD got the leaders I was working with to draw okay. online their schema of their life and where these things overlap and interlace because also for example you'll, you'll find some people have a work persona and a out of work persona mm. and so they'll keep these groups of people that they meet separate yeah. And I think you should. I mean, I yeah. I kind of like my social media, personal stuff, I never bring in work people, if that no. makes sense. And so I'm quite... Yeah. But equally, there are people I meet through work who mm. actually, I think, I'd like to get to know them as friends. Get, yes. you know, and I'm quite happy with that. Mm. And I would mix, I would connect to them, not just when they're on their own, but with other people around me. Yeah. Now, to do that, they've got to see the same person in both scenarios haven't they yes that's integrity yeah. but if mm. they're seeing oh this is Anita at work and this is Anita at when you know we're out on the social yeah that doesn't help a no. it's hard to remember for anyone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it doesn't build relationship does it no so yeah that's why the work-life construct doesn't work for doesn't me, work for you it's, no, it, it's I think it's whole life mm. what's your whole life Mm. Construct is the question I would say. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to think about that for me. <laughs> draw yeah. yours out. Yeah, draw mine out. Yeah, yeah. Because also you can go from this is where it is now, where do you want it to go? Yes. Whereas, yeah. if you just work in those two dynamics of work life. Yes. And I think that's the other thing. I don't take my identity from my work. No. My identity is from who I am. Mm. Because I might be working in Team ADL today. I might not tomorrow. Mm. I think redundancy really taught me that. Mm. You cannot base your identity in what you do. It's who you are. Yeah. And so, but with business owners, I think this is where my, my father built his identity around being that business. Yes. And that was where we, we had a difference. So as I was saying to him, you know, you are a man, first and foremost. You're a father, you're a dad, you yeah. know, all those things. Yeah. You're not the business. No. And I think because it becomes and because I was the brand initially as a consultant yes. I had to really think some of that through yeah but 
the business may not be there tomorrow, but I still will. Yes. So you can have where you are now in your schema of circle life, mm. and then you can actually say, well, where do I want to be? And you'll mm. know, you'll be able to see, well, which bits do I need to increase? Yeah. So walking became very important for me. Mm. And so I wanted to increase that. Well, mm. some other things may have to go. Yeah. And you begin to say that. So, yeah. Just a thought, an idea. No, it's good. <laughs> Visuals. We yeah, can't yeah. do them on podcasts, but hopefully people will be able to see it. <laughs> so can you describe yourself in three words and would your friends, I guess they would, if you're, the, if you're showing up as the same person, would they agree with those three words? Uh, creative. Mm-hmm. Kind. And crazy. Okay. <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> In a good crazy. way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And your friends would agree. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can listen in and actually yeah. ring you well, up and say, We'll do a feedback yeah. call. <laughs> so what would you like to leave behind as your business legacy? That's a good good question because I'm in that place right now of actually thinking about some of this. So Team ADL is a community interest company Mm -hmm. and we do resource back schools and colleges that we serve. Yeah. The bigger ARC legacy is I would like a system for special education needs and disability that is fit for purpose for the nation. Okay. So our heart has never been to be in every school, every college because, you know, the Mm. market, you can never get full saturation. No. So I'm never... It's never been about how much we sell or our percentage in, in terms of that. We have yeah. an idea. We, we, we know where, how much we have saturated. Mm. But we're not looking for that mass kind of thing. But I want a system that works mm. for the masses. Mm. So because within that, then Team ADL would be just one choice mm. that they could use and opt for as a support service. Yeah. There are others out there. The problem that we've got at the moment is because of the way the interaction is between the law, policy and practice, mm. we often go in having to clean up the work of other support services. Okay. And I want to grow the system, but mm. I'm having to keep cleaning up the mess. The firefighting, yeah. And it's such a waste of public resources. It's yeah. such a waste of public funds. Yeah. Over time... Team ADL has created a number of niche products and services mm. that we're known for and only we do. Yeah. And we do original content. And I say that because there are lots of others in my field who would call themselves consultants but actually don't do original content. They just repeat what the government has said or what government agencies have said. Yeah, We don't. We actually create things from new products, services training credited training programs mm. so we have created a, a range of products over time and mm. um, some of ours have been intellectual property rights have been registered so there is quite a bit of legacy there mm. and i think they call it assets in your world don't they mm. within yeah, the company yeah. there's quite a few within that yeah so yeah I, it's about thinking through the leadership of team adl going forward mm as well as the ownership. There's two different aspects to mm. those who would do the day-to-day running mm. and deliver 
and sustain quality based around the values. So the legacy is that Team ADL will just continue to run and hopefully implement change? I hope so. I think when I first started out as a consultant, I had no idea that I would create a company that would eventually continue beyond my life, if that makes sense. And even when I started Team ADL, it was never really the heart Mm. of what I had a vision. But now that we have these niche products and various things Mm. I can't really think of any other way for it to continue for those things to continue without that Mm. so we are now in capacity building mode we are developing leaders we're developing the team Mm. but also externally you know I used to go in and do reviews Mm. I haven't got capacity to do all the schools so we now actually have one of our accredited courses where we train the reviewer Mm. Uh, and that has become quite popular because we've created sustainable systems within multi-academy trusts mm. and one particular trust we were working with that they were one of the you know the early adopters yeah for this project incidentally just to kind of show you how the values go they contacted me and asked me to review their nine schools mm. which would have been at a minimum of about 18 days of consultancy work mm. it's pretty good yeah you know <clears throat> i actually said no Right. I said no, and I said, let me train up your leaders to run their own reviews and then yeah. quality assure it. Mm. So what was 18 days, I think, went down to seven or eight days. Okay. So financially, we made a loss, yes. you might say, yeah. from your world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, we have continued to grow their leaders over mm. five years. Mm. And this year, they're into their second generation of leaders. Mm. And we, we held another whole trust training for them. Mm. <clears throat> And so we've created a sustainable model. Yes. Yeah. So I could have gone with the 18 producer reports Mm. and it would have been, you know, Mm. a great initial boost to our income. Yes. But actually we would have paid the cost long term. And I think, again, businesses, we need to think about, you know, do we sacrifice the long term sometimes by just focusing on the short term? Yeah. Yeah because it's all relational and, and yes. all those things yeah. so yeah. yeah we're on the second generation of them we're now using their case study to create to develop other mats okay. and so because once you've got that legacy yeah. in one area you can mm. talk about it freely and with confidence yes. that we've walked this we know what we're talking about yeah yeah so that then creates and given that the government's agenda is to create these multi-academy trusts going from local authorities which is kind of the world i knew previously yeah and that trajectory isn't going to change regardless of which party comes into play because mm. too much has happened financially mm. for it to re- be reversed. Yeah. We then are implementing, affecting the system, but in a way that we're, mm. this is where we stand and this is what we do. Mm. So, yeah, it, it, you know, that's... So I'm looking at leadership, I'm looking at teams, and I don't know if you find this, but as a business owner, you kind of have a lot that you do because mm. it's in your head you've made mm. those connections yes and one of the things that I was quite intentional to start doing last year with all the other stuff that we were doing last year was just a phenomenal year was to start articulating what I think and how I think on paper for others yeah okay and it's not from a place of me wanting to clone the team mm. but actually being explicit about processes and systems mm. 
Mm. And, you know, we, <clears throat> we've created, I took on a deputy the, the Christmas before. Mm. We, we have a teen touchstone book, which has made it very explicit what we expect, what we want. Mm. The team is now at a place where we actually have divided them into two sub-teams. And so they've mm. got team leaders. Okay. And they will meet with their team leaders and then the team leaders will meet. So we, <clears throat> we're building yeah. in that capacity. Yeah, yeah. But it's not an overnight, I want to rush into this. No. You know, the, the African problem says if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go with others yes and so we yeah. you know we want to go further rather than just go fast yes so we're building that in um, yeah. i have a timeline kind of set for when i want to kind of complete this by and i think we started early so mm. yeah it's we're in a good place we, we really are we we we've survived the pandemic mm. two recessions i've survived as well yeah yeah so i think it's and i think and if you said to me what was the success behind it? i'm asking a question to myself <laughs> i would say making time to rest yes so key yeah you know mm. yeah to give you the energy to keep going and and the, the headspace yeah and the ideas and mm. to re keep myself grounded in on the day-to-day i may not see the bigger picture mm. but it's there mm. the bigger arc is still there yeah you know yeah. And as a Doctor Who fan, that would be the link back to Gallifrey. But you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, if you've yeah. seen the story, they've always had that arc, haven't yes, they? Yes. Yeah. And that's what keeps us hooked. Yeah. Despite 13, 14 Doctors. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of sci-fi for you there, folks. <laughs> okay, so what's the one question you wish I'd asked and how would you have answered? Oh, do you know what? I've listened to the other podcasts. At the end, you guys ask something really funny. And I always thought, oh, such a good question. And I cannot remember now. I've... You could ask me what I have for breakfast. <laughs> I can't remember. It's something so, nothing about work. It's just the mundane stuff, you yeah. know, just the mundane stuff. Because, yeah, we're business people. We have all these labels and persona. But yeah. actually, at the root of it, yeah, we're just people. We're people. Mm. And I like my porridge in the morning. <laughs> You know, with nuts and cinnamon and nutmeg. I do spice it up a bit. And uh, yeah, I think it's about keeping it real, isn't it? Yeah. That yeah. Sometimes we can get, our egos can get into that persona that we yes. forget who we are. Yeah. But actually keeping it real. And you're actually, you know, acting up to a perception as well sometimes with some of the networking or Absolutely. Like, people that contact you. You know, yeah. on paper, yeah, it says to me founder and CEO, yeah. which sounds very grand. Yes. Quite frankly. Yeah. Because, you know, <clears throat> I'm a CEO and then you have CEOs of multinational yeah, organisations yeah, and actually yeah. we've got the same title. Yes, yeah. And a CEO of a national multinational organisation may have porridge for breakfast. <laughs> I don't know. But you can say from this CEO, I have porridge for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite nice. That's when people see that, you know, you are a person under it. Yeah. And that's what connects you, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anita. It's been a really interesting conversation. So thank you for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you.